<laughs> oh, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Doc Ski. I got to say, out of all of the teachers that I have had the privilege of working with over the years, I don't think I've ever met someone who clearly loves his students and his job as much as Dr. Sikorsky. He is an absolute blast. You are missing out. If you've never gone on one of the Bible Lands trips with Dr. Sikorsky, you are missing out because he turns into just a whole different person on that. He is a blast and a half, and I can only imagine what he's like inside the classroom. But uh, as Dr. Ski said, I'm Jeremy Stein. I am the teaching specialist for the Center for Holy Land Studies, and here at North Central, I have a few different roles that I get to fulfill. Firstly, as I get to teach archaeology uh, and also welcome NCU students on coming on active digs inside the world of the Bible. When I talk about the world or the lands of the Bible, we're talking about anywhere where the Bible took place or where it happened, whether it's Israel, Italy, Greece, Egypt, Cyprus, Turkey, everywhere where we find biblical narrative that takes place becomes important for us because when we go and step foot back into the land of the Bible, it allows us to transport ourselves out of our world and into the world that the original audiences and the original authors of the Bible knew. And they wrote to their original audiences and they wrote in a way that their audiences understood inside their day and age. And so the burden then rests upon us to put ourselves inside their shoes. And so one of the ways we do that is through archaeology. And so every summer we do a trip uh, to the lands of the Bible that uh, engages in archaeology. Uh, this year we're going to be in Greece, Italy, and we're going to be in Turkey. And we're going to do not only archaeology, but we're also going to engage in other ways. And one of the ways that we engage inside the Bible is going to the already excavated cities, the places that have been dug up, the places that they know a lot about. And we go to these places and we not only look at the history behind these cities, we not only look at the remains, but we look at the text of God's word in order to then pull it into perspective for us to better understand what God was speaking, not only to the ancients, but also speaking to us. Because even today, we see that the lands where those who wrote the Bible, those who the Bible is about, still speak to us two, 3,000 years later. And so today I want to take you through a little bit of kind of what we do on site. How we look at God's word inside its text, inside the land where it actually happens. And I want to take a moment today and look at a place called Troas, or Alexandria Troas, as some of our Bibles might translate it. And there's a few different narratives inside the Bible that take place in Alexandria Troas. Probably the most well-known and the most comical is when Paul is returning from his third missionary journey in Acts chapter 20. And while he's there, he preaches late into the night. And he goes so late that a man by the name of Eutychus, sitting, listening to him inside the windowsill, he falls asleep and falls out the window to his death. And Paul goes out sees that he's dead but prays over him and Eutychus is raised from the dead and what does Paul do? He goes back in and continues his sermon. For those of you who are ministry majors, don't do that. No. But probably more important for us in understanding how God interacts and deals with our lives is the real first narrative that we get about Alexandria Troas in Acts chapter 16 where we find that Paul is given a detour in his life and in his ministry for a specific purpose. If we look in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6, 
we find that it reads as this. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Myasia, they tried to enter into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed Myasia, and they went down to Troas. Now this is in the midst of Paul's second missionary journey. When we look at the book of Acts, we're given three different missionary journeys by Paul. His first one, he is joined by a man named Barnabas. And they go to the island of Cyprus to spread the gospel there. And while there, they come into contact with some very influential and important people who send them to the area of Turkey. And while they're there, they have some issues with some of their companions. And one of them, who's the nephew of Barnabas, a man by the name of John Mark, ends up abandoning them and leaving them. They finish their first missionary journey. They come back to Jerusalem, and they decide to go back on their second missionary journey. And while they are deciding what to do with their missionary journey, they firstly come to the conclusion that their goal is to now go to the places that they've already planted churches and help them better understand what's been taught to them. But secondly, the question of who should join them arises. And Barnabas wants to bring his cousin John Mark along with him. And what does Paul say? No, this guy abandoned us. This guy left us. And so what happens is is that the argument between Barnabas and Paul gets so great that they end up parting ways. And right from the get-go of this second missionary journey, Paul's plans change. His initial plan of going to the island of Cyprus and going and preaching there once more is no longer on the table because that's where Barnabas And John Mark are going to go. So what Paul does is that he goes to the area of Turkey. And after he begins going to the churches that he's been to already, now that half of his itinerary has basically been taken away from him, he decides that he is going to bring the gospel further into the land. And it makes sense when it's told to us here that he wants to go to the area of Bithynia. Because Bithynia was the place where it was at. The capital of Bithynia was a place called Byzantium. Something that we might know today as modern day Istanbul. It was one of the most important cities inside the ancient world. Because it bridged two continents. If you look up on uh, this map, you'll see that as we look inside Turkey, you have the area of Bithynia bordering the northern part of the, uh, of the Black Sea. And so as a result, when we study Paul's ministry and what he wants to do, we see the reality that he desires to go to the places where people are most likely to spread the gospel as well. You'll see it right here. If you see Bithynia up there, small, just south of the uh, Black Sea, you see that land bridge right there, and right in the middle with one small little river that comes in between. That's where Paul's desiring to bring this gospel to. But it says that the Holy Spirit prevents him from doing as such. Now, later on in Paul's ministry, we're going to see that he's going to do similar. He's going to go to Corinth. He's going to go to Athens. He's going to go to Ephesus. Three out of the five major ports of the ancient world. And each time he goes there, we find that the gospel spreads even further. Because those who are coming through the port are bringing the gospel with them in every single time they go through. So now... If Paul is desiring to do this, and he's desiring to go to Bithynia to have the same effect, why? Why is the Holy Spirit stopping him? 
You know what, sometimes we think that our plan for ministry is the best plan, that we know where it's at. But the reality is, is that our ministry is birthed out of the calling that God gives us. And any step in life should automatically be ordained by God who has given us this calling. And when God tells us to put a pause or take a detour in our ministry, chances are there's something greater at work that we can't see that he's doing in the background. And guess what? Sometimes it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with God building a ministry in somebody else. We oftentimes want to think that we are the end all or the center of the ministry in our lives, but sometimes we are just a building block for God's kingdom of what he's going to build and do even greater in the lives of others. And inside our world, that's sometimes difficult to comprehend. We live in a world that's about me, me, me. But here inside the text, we find something very interesting. We find the reason, really two reasons behind this detour. For in verse 9, it picks up. And it says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here we find the answer, right in the forefront, that God had a different plan for Paul and his team. For the first time, God had desired Paul to be the one to bring the gospel to a new continent. It was now going to Europe. But there's another part about this passage that tells us even more about God's plan in that moment. Because we see a shift in how the narrative is being portrayed to us. Because when we opened, it said Paul and his companions traveled through the region. But here we find a shift. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to go to Macedonia. What does that mean? What does that tell us? We see a shift from the third person to the second person, which means that somebody has now joined Paul's companionship. Somebody has joined and entered into the picture. And who is it? We actually know who it is. It's the author of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts actually serves as the the sequel to another book that we have in our New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. We find inside the Gospel of Luke that Luke, Paul's friend, Paul's companion, a doctor, a physician, who now has met Paul here on the streets of Alexandria Troas, has a salvation experience, and now is traveling with Paul to spread the Gospel, to give the good news. Sometimes God is going to take detours inside our lives, inside our ministries, because there's somebody of importance that you are called to be the one who brings the gospel message to, because God has a plan for their life and their ministry just as much as yours. And in this case right here, we find one of the most important individuals of the entire New Testament, Luke. Now, one of the things I usually ask my students is, who writes the majority of the New Testament? And it's easy for us to immediately jump on the idea that it's Paul because we have so many of his letters. But Paul's letters are sometimes just mere chapters. 
And when we look at the vast majority of the New Testament, Luke actually contributes more than anybody else. The corpus of Luke's gospel and the book of Acts give us so much understanding on what takes place not only in the life, the ministry of Jesus, but also the development of the New Testament church of whom each and every one of us are still a part of. Paul brings Luke into the fold and Luke gives us a beautiful roadmap of what to expect, what we can see, what we should be looking for inside our churches. The book of Acts, the name of the book of Acts that Luke actually gives it is the Acts of the Apostles. Why? Because he's focusing on the power of the Holy Spirit amongst them inside their churches because that's the same power that is available to each and every one of us in our churches, in our lives. What we see happening, as wild as it might see inside the book of Acts, where even mere shadows pass over those who are hungry for the Spirit of God and they are touched and they are healed. Guess what? The same Spirit of God is active and alive today in each and every one of us if we step out and walk in it. And we are given all of this on account of Luke joining Paul's mission here. But it goes even further than this. Because not only does Luke joined Paul here, but he seems to never leave him. We find that Paul is going to gain multiple different companions along the way. And when the time comes and the time sees fit, he leaves them in different places in order that they might do ministry. We find, for example, a couple that travel with him named Aquila and Priscilla, that he's going to leave in Ephesus for a time, and that he's going to leave inside uh, Rome or send to Rome. Titus is going to go to the island of Crete. Timothy is also going to minister in Ephesus. But Paul has Luke with him every step of the way. And at the end of Paul's third missionary journey, following Acts chapter 20, we find that Paul returns to Jerusalem and something happens to Paul's ministry there. While he's in Jerusalem, there begins to happen a riot that he ends up getting confused by the Roman authorities as to his identity and they end up arresting him. And when it's made clear to the Romans that there's going to be a plot on Paul's life, he is moved out of Jerusalem to an area known as Caesarea. And while he is in Caesarea, even though the Romans clearly identify the fact that Paul is innocent of anything that he is accused of. He is held there for two years. His ministry is on pause. Now, if you're like me, you're probably putting yourselves inside Paul's shoes and you're asking yourself, God, why? Haven't I done everything that you've asked me to? Haven't I gone to all the places that you've desired? Look at what I've subjected myself to. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been chased out of cities. I've had to hide for my very life. Why then? Why am I not allowed to fulfill the role that you have called me to do? Why am I not allowed to go deeper? Why can't, if it's the cry of my heart, I go to plant these churches to these unreached people? But sometimes, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, even if they are focused on building the kingdom, are delayed because God's got something else in store. Because if Luke is traveling with Paul the entire way, we find that he has very little ability to go and build his gospel. 
Luke, because he's saved in Acts chapter 16, is not present for any of the accounts of Jesus' life. He's not present for the day of Pentecost that we see inside Acts chapter 2. He's not present for any of this. And he can't go and ask Paul the accounts of Jesus' life because Paul's not present for it either. Which means that he has to go to sources, places, people that were there during the days in the ministry of Jesus if he's going to give an account of who Jesus is. And we find that he has to do that inside the land of Israel. Because when we look at the accounts, we find that in the introduction to Luke's gospel, that it says that he compiles these accounts. He doesn't list them off, but he gives us hints. And for example, Luke is one of only two gospels that gives us the birth narratives of Jesus. And inside the birth narrative, he continually makes a comment again and again that Mary did what? She treasured these things in her heart. Who else is going to know if she treasured these things in her heart? Who else is going to know and understand the depth of the feelings that she's having in these moments? It is only going to be Mary herself, which is therefore Luke telling us in his way, I went to Mary to get this source. I went to somebody who witnessed it, who saw it all. The stories that I'm relaying about the life of Jesus, the parables, the teachings, the miracles, all of these are coming from people who physically saw them, who are relaying them to me now. Likewise, we know that Paul, or sorry, that Luke would have had to do this because when we look at his gospel, it is the most complete. It is the most geographically accurate. It is the most in touch with the physical reality and the historical reality of the nature of who Jesus was that we understand and we know. And the only time that we can see the possibility of this taking place is during Paul's two years in Caesarea. Now, it's easy sometimes for us to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to take a detour for your kingdom. I'm willing to take a detour for your path. But how many of us are willing to take despair, are willing to take prison for the kingdom of God? What I want to ask you today from the example that we find taking place all the way back in Alexandria Troas through the introduction of Luke into this narrative with Paul is the question of what we are willing to do for the kingdom of God. Each and every one of us, no matter where our path in life takes us, we are called to ministry without question. When you say yes to the gospel, when you have assumed that title of being a believer, being a follower of Christ, you are no longer allowed to simply sit on the sidelines. You are called to be an active member in building the kingdom of God. And what that role looks like is going to be different for each and every one of us. Some of us might be doing it inside our job site. Some of us might be doing it from a pulpit. Some of us might be doing it from behind an instrument. Some of us might be doing it in children's ministry or just volunteering to help those who are needy, who are homeless. Each and every one of us has a call to show the gospel physically through our lives in ministry day to day with everyone we come in contact with. And that should become the core of our identity. 
But what happens when the core of our identity gets rocked? When God puts a divine delay on our ministry, on our lives. And I'll simply say this. Don't despise the divine delays. Don't despise the divine detours. Because one of the realities of Paul's life becomes so evident to each and every one of us in his words. When he gives an identification of himself from church to church to church, we look in the book of Romans, Ephesians, Paul identifies himself as a slave of Christ. Our Bibles might translate this as a servant or something. No, the word in Greek is doulos and it means a slave. It means someone of the lowest of the low. Someone who is completely in utter and total submission to the master. That is how Paul sees his relationship with Christ. That no matter what the circumstance is, that he is willing to sit back and say, God, you are in control. You are the master. You are the one who gives me this ministry. And therefore, if you're going to place a pause on it, if you're going to place a hold on it, if you're going to send me somewhere else, if your spirit is going to tell me, no, don't preach there, then my responsibility is simply to act in obedience. Simply to say yes. God doesn't desire grandeur out of our ministries. He doesn't desire pomp and circumstance. He doesn't desire numbers. What he desires is obedience. What he desires is a willing servant who says yes, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstance, no matter if you tell me to go or you tell me to stay, that I will say yes. Because here's the reality. When we want to build God's kingdom in our own might, we are only serving to detract from God's kingdom. Why? Because God builds his kingdom in the way that he sees fit, and he can do it far more able than any one of us. If we want to see the perfect kingdom of God built, then it's our responsibility to go when he says go and to step out of the way when he says step out of the way. And it's even more so our responsibility to look at the others whom he is calling to build his kingdom aside us and stand there and lift them up and cheer them on and push them forward and grow them and stand by their side and give them everything they need even when you're at a moment when God says stay put, wait, hold on. And the reality is, for each and every one of us, guys, there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to be told to hold, where we're going to feel like, what am I doing? I'm not moving forward. I'm not growing anymore. I'm not, this ministry is not expanding the way that I dream it to be. But the reality is, is that even if our dreams are God-focused, that does not mean that they are God's dreams. That does not mean that his kingdom is not going to be built. Listen, his kingdom can be built without any one of us. He doesn't need us. The beauty of being en or entering into the relationship with Christ is that we get to partake in building his kingdom. But we are not the focus of his kingdom. Nor is any other individual. Paul was not the focus of his own ministry. And Luke was not the focus of Paul's ministry. Because Christ was the focus of their ministry. And if Christ, the Spirit of Christ, tells us what to do, then we better do it. 
When we look at the impact of what Paul leaves us, yes, as a church, we're eternally grateful, but there's something that is missing inside Paul's writings. We don't have a gospel. And when we look at Paul's relationship with Christ, we find that Paul's focus is always on who? On Christ. That is the center of everything that he's talking about. All the doctrine that he is introducing in his letters. Everything that he's dealing with his churches is to point them to a relationship that is even greater than the one that they're at at that moment with Christ. And therefore, when we look at the importance of the writings and we look at the importance of the ministry, that although Paul goes and he plants churches all over Asia Minor, all over Cyprus and Greece, we find the everlasting impact of Luke's gospel still to this very day. For it is the gospel itself that saves. It is the gospel itself that redeems. It is the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus that has commanding power over this world. And it is in Luke's words that we are given the most clear and most perfect picture. All because you had an individual like Paul who was sitting back and simply said, God, if you're going to delay my ministry, if you're going to detour my life so that you can raise up another to do greater than anything I could ever do, then so be it. So my challenge to you today as we finish up here is are you willing to follow the call of God and build his kingdom in complete obedience all the while understanding every step of the way that God has others. He will use others, sometimes greater than ourselves. Will we be okay with that? Simply because we have the desire and the understanding that God's kingdom is greater than our own and that building his kingdom his way is greater than anything we could possibly do or imagine in our own lives.